Good morning. I, I appreciate Claudette and Mike taking part of it, but I, I'm going to confess that I really love seeing Phoebe singing up here, leading, leading phrase. So, well, if you weren't here uh, during church life, and if you haven't looked at your bulletins, um, just want to remind you about the prayer activity we're going to be doing after um, the service today to go across the parking lot uh, to write prayers on the, on the wall, on the floors, uh, before the drywall goes up this week. And uh, as a remodeling committee, when we were processing this like earlier this year, Pastor John brought up about how when he was in Escondido, when they were going through their construction, that they had prayer activity like that. They wrote prayers on the wall and on the, on the floors. And when we heard that, we said, we got to do that here. We got to do that here. So please be sure to stop by there. Uh, so that was one of the first things I talked about with the contractor. When, when we signed the contract, I was like, we have to do this prayer activity. When could we do it? And he's like, look, all I got to ask you is this. Just do not use the markers on the drywall that is already there. So some of us are visual learners. This is where you could, like, see? See where Ken is writing? That's okay. The post is okay. So if you see somebody doing that, encourage them. Like, yes, you're doing the good prayer, good prayer. But if you see somebody on the drywall, please feel free to just <laughs> tell them to stop praying. Stop praying in the house of the Lord, okay? So, but we encourage you to do that right after the service, and it's just going to be a, a great uh, experience for us to share for a long time, knowing that whoever walks in that building is surrounded in our prayers. So please do that. So if you, um, if you haven't been here, you know we started a series on the book of Philippians. And we're still in chapter 1. That means there's a lot there. We're in the book of Philippians, and this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he loves very much. And this is to a church that loves him very much. And is actually concerned for Paul and has helped Paul. And if you start reading Philippians chapter 1, you may ask yourself what I asked myself when I was reading it. What is that like? I mean, what is it like to be going through what Paul is going through? I mean, because Paul, yes, he's waiting to find out if he's going to be executed. He's in prison waiting to find out if he's going to be executed. What is that like? But really, what is it like to be able to write a letter that has this content in there? Because you listen to his words, and it's totally not about him and what he's going through. Not at all focused on his circumstances, that he is, has zero control over his destiny. What is that like? Verse 6, you see the heart of Philippians where he said, He who began a good work in you, Church of Philippi, he who began a good work in you will continue to do so until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I am so excited. I love that God is working in your life as a community. That actually brings me joy. What's that like? You see, he goes on and he, he wants to put them at ease. And he said, you know, I know you guys think because I'm incarcerated, waiting to find out if I'm going to be executed. You think this is a problem for the gospel. But actually, let me tell you, this is served to proclaim it all the more. The gospel is being proclaimed. Don't you for a second think that oppression 
is going to silence the power of the gospel. See, the church of Philippi was the early, early church. They don't realize that. We do now. We know how to look back on history and know that attempts to silence the body of Christ has actually served to strengthen it. When you look at the early church, you see how Rome persecuted and tried to silence the body of Christ. Silence the message of the gospel that the kingdom is here. They tried to silence it, but instead it served to strengthen the body of Christ and spread the gospel all the more. We know that now. And even our Protestant roots tell us that sometimes the body of Christ tries to be silenced by the church. Because we know that the reformers, who many we know now as martyrs, proclaim that faith in Jesus is enough. That it is grace and not works, so we are a priesthood of all believers. And the church's attempt to silence the body of Christ actually served to strengthen the body of Christ and proclaim the gospel all the more. We know that now. We know that the gospel is resilient. So I ask myself, what is that like? To be waiting in prison, waiting to find out if you're going to be executed or not, yet still find hope and be comforted in the gospel. And then this week, I listened to an interview of Richard Goslip. You guys thought Richard Goslip. Goslip. In this interview, I listened to it because this is an interview of somebody who is waiting to be executed, who is on death row, who's been on death row for 17 years for murder that he claims he had nothing to do with, that he was accused of saying, uh, they accused him of paying somebody to uh, kill somebody. And he has maintained his innocence from the beginning, and so they interviewed him. And this, uh, we have the picture of him, and I want us to listen to this interview, and I want you to listen to his words and where he's at in his life right now, knowing that he's days away of being executed. transcript. <laughs> Are we going to be able to get it? Okay. Here's what he said. They asked him about what is your relationship with faith and religion? I mean, what is your relationship at this stage in your life? And he said, quote, this makes you a lot stronger in your beliefs. Or it better, you better let it make you stronger. That's for sure. Because it's a comforting thing when you get down close to where I'm at now. And it's a comfort to know that you've made peace with everything, especially God. Yeah, it definitely strengthens your faith as you go along through this process. We're going to listen to it now. <laughs> Again. What's your, what's your relationship with religion or faith before prison versus during prison versus now? Well, I grew up, my, my uncle was a preacher, so I had to grow up in the church. But I've never really been away from the church uh, for long periods of time where I didn't believe or anything like that. I've always believed. 
But I think this makes you a lot stronger in your beliefs, or you better let it make you a lot stronger in your beliefs, that's for sure. Because it's a comforting thing when you get down close to where I'm at right now. And it's just a comfort to know that you've made peace with everything, especially God. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely strengthens strengthens, uh, your religion as you go along through this process. Even though his time is growing short, Richard says he still has hope. So I don't give up hope in any way, shape, or form because that day, until they lay you on that table and stick them needles in you and you're completely dead, you, ha- you always have hope. And I will never let them take that away from me. This interview was done in January of this year. And he was set to be executed just in a matter of days. And it's actually been postponed more than, on more than one occasion. Uh, this past Wednesday, they've postponed it one more time. And I was listening to this interview And those words really stood out for me, where he says, you find comfort in these situations. You can't let anything take hope away from you. So he continues to hold on to hope and comfort. And what is that like? I mean, Paul, let's not forget who he was before the road to Damascus. He did some messed up things. Yet now in Philippians, he's in a place where he's been comforted and transformed by the power of the gospel. And if it could happen to Paul, it could happen for people like Richard. And so Paul continues writing to them, and we get to verse 27. And this is the one thing he tells them, the church of Philippi, to do. He said, only live your life, parentheses, as a community. Only live your life as a community in a manner worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit. That you are striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And are in no way intimidated by your opponents. Live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. I mean, the word where he used, he said, to live or to behave in a way worthy of the gospel. That word that Paul used, he he didn't use anywhere else. But it's a word that the church of Philippi was very familiar with. Because before it it became known as behave or to live out, that word was citizenship. He said citizenship, and the church of Philippi knew what that meant. Because if you're a Roman citizen, you have rights and privileges that come with that. And those rights and privileges affect the way you live your life. Your attitude, your behavior, your day-to-day living is one as a citizen of Rome. They knew that no matter how far away you were from Rome, you still had rights and privileges. You would still remember where you came from. And now Paul's using this word with a completely different meaning for them. Saying, don't just remember where you came from. Now you need to remember who you belong to. Now you need to remember that the kingdom of God is now the reality here on earth. That it is not Rome who is to govern here. It is love and grace that is to govern from here on out. That is what needs to move you from your day-to-day activities. And I think that's what Paul found comfort in. That's what gave him peace because he knew that the gospel brings comfort And it wasn't positive thinking that Paul is using here. It's not positive thinking. Where I didn't have anything to eat, but at least I had something to drink. 
Or yeah, some people are preaching out of selfish ambition, and some have, but some have good intentions. It's not positive thinking here. It's a profound awareness of God's presence in his life. Profound awareness of the perspective that the gospel brings followers of Christ. A perspective that is aware of the power and hope of the gospel that he's proclaiming. And that's why the gospel is able to bring hope when life gets ugly, especially when it's unexpected. When we don't have full control of our circumstances, we find comfort because we know, we remember that we're citizens of a kingdom that tells us that we are loved and never forgotten. So Paul tells them, live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. But he continues and he tells them, you stand firm. Be sure you are striving side to side and no way be intimidated by your opponents. Because the gospel, yes, it brings us comfort, but in no way is it supposed to make us comfortable. It's like Paul was telling them, you're going to be tempted to retreat. When Rome starts threatening you with incarceration, when you lose control over your circumstances, you're going to be tempted to lose hope. Tempted to forget that the kingdom of God is actually the reality here on earth. You're tempted to forget that love and grace govern here. But let's face it, as Christians, it's not just powers like Rome that tempt us to retreat. It's when Christians actually decide to take the words of Jesus seriously, that tempts us to retreat. Because then we don't just get to call Jesus Savior and friend, which is comforting. We also have to call him Lord, not as comfortable. Because all of a sudden that means I have to do soul searching. That means I have to get out of my comfort zone. Paul is saying, he who began a good work in you will continue to do so. And some of us are saying, man, yeah, he who began a good work in me has a whole lot to work on. And now I have to pay attention to my own life and say, it's hard for me to forgive people. It's hard for me to forgive that person. I can't even forgive myself. Man, you're working on my heart and now you're telling me that I'm actually really selfish. That my motivations are selfish. That every decision I've made has revolved around me and not what's good for my community. Man, when we dare to take the words of Jesus seriously, it is tempting to retreat Because Jesus as Savior and friend, awesome, comforting. Jesus as Lord, not as awesome, not as comforting. We're tempted to retreat because the kingdom of God is so different than what we're accustomed to. You remember when Jesus was with his disciples, he told them how to pray. And in that prayer, he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer assumes action on the part of the one who is praying. When the body of Christ says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it assumes action on behalf of the follower of Christ, on behalf of the body of Christ, the church, us. We are part of a kingdom where love and grace govern, and that means that we are to promote peace, not violence. 
We are to promote peace, even though we would much rather take vengeance into our own hands. Part of a kingdom ruled by love and grace, and that means even our enemies get to experience that. That means we have to value those who don't seem to have much influence in our world, in our communities, and even in our church. Because in the kingdom of God, everyone matters. The gospel brings comfort, but it doesn't make us comfortable. Because let's step back here. How many of us want to retreat in silence? We say, I'm not the one attacking people. I'm not the one saying harsh words about people. Yeah, but we're the ones who are silent about it. We're the ones who turn our back, and silence is just as harmful as hurtful words and actions. And we're tempted to retreat to the point where it's so far away, where sometimes we look so not like the kingdom of God that Paul has proclaimed that Jesus told us to be a part of. And you see this in our history. Where Christianity was part of the Crusades. That was us. We went around and said, convert or be killed, and we did it in the name of Jesus. Oh, that was a very long time ago and very far away. But we see it here in our history as well. Where slavery, where people were viewed as property, not as people. And that was done in the name of religion. Oh, not so long ago either. We see it in, in Jim Crow laws that are part of our history. When people were segregated, where we said, we will not associate with you, and that was also justified in the name of religion. That was so long ago, but it's still happening now. Where we see far too many Christians okay when certain groups of people are treated as second-class citizens and we do it in the name of religion. Where we hear things and we've done things that has dehumanized groups of people that are of a different religion than us, that are from different countries than us. We dehumanize people who are in prison just like Richard Glossop. We dehumanize them to the point where we think the best solution is to figure out how do we get rid of them. We've dehumanized children of God. And we've done it in a manner that is nowhere to be found in the kingdom of God that is governed by love and grace. And praise God that we are no longer okay with crusades. We could all agree that was a mistake. Praise God that slavery cannot be justified in the name of religion. Segregation, not okay. Praise God because he who began a good work in us, that's a community. God has shown us that that is not okay. And let's not dismiss this and say, well, everyone was like that. Oh, every, that was just how the church operated back in the day. No, everyone was okay with slavery. Everyone was okay with that. Even the Adventist church was okay with that, by the way. Where black employees and visitors were not allowed to eat at the cafeteria of the general conference. Everyone was like that? No. It didn't just disappear suddenly. People didn't just wake up and say, you know, this slavery thing, this segregation thing is overrated. Let's just like, do away with it. It didn't just happen. There was people who stood firm. 
who were side by side, who were not intimidated by opponents, and they did so in a manner that was worthy of the gospel. And it's people who were part of the Underground Railroad, families who risked their lives and their reputations, everything, providing safe houses for people who were trying to find freedom. And a safe house really is just a sanctuary. Not everyone was okay with slavery. We see in the Civil Rights Movement where it wasn't only black people who were saying this is not okay. We saw white people. We saw white clergy who took a risk and were not silent. Knowing full well that they were going to face rejection because even white people were killed and incarcerated. And if they weren't threatened, at the very least, they were ridiculed. Not everyone was okay with segregation. And people stood side by side. They marched. They were not intimidated by the opponents because they knew the kingdom of God is the reality here and now. It is love and grace that is supposed to govern here. And so they did that in a manner that was worthy of the gospel. Not everyone is silent. Not everyone looks the other way. Not everyone retreats. And then we see it here in our church too. The ways in which people have lived in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. People who have stood firm, have stood side by side by people in a manner that brings hope. I'm excited about tomorrow morning. We're going to jog. Whereas a church, I mean, We've been cheering for you. We've been praying for you. People have been raising money. People have been spreading the word. And we're going to be, not side by side, we're going to be running together tomorrow or jogging or walking. <laughs> Saying, you're not in this alone. You're going to find comfort in the body of Christ that is living in the manner that is worthy of the gospel. We saw it a couple years ago when our church decided to start a transition home for young men who have transitioned out of the foster care system. And I know that was a couple years ago now. And then when that was brought up, we talked about it because they are very much a vulnerable population with stories that will break your heart and therefore give them challenges to operate independently. So we said, let's do a transitional home because they are also valued in the kingdom of God. And I know a lot of us like the idea and I know not everyone was fully on board, but I know there were some people in our church that were all in. They took that risk. They were all in. They poured their heart and soul into those young men. They knew that there was cynicism. They knew there was criticism. They knew there were so many people that are in foster care. They know that there are some deep wounds there that don't just go away like that. But they were all in. We don't realize how difficult it was. It was a huge learning experience. There were some difficult decisions that needed to be made in midst of cynicism, criticism. But those people were all in and they stood firm. They were not intimidated by the task at hand and they did it in a manner that was worthy of the gospel. At a board meeting, let's transition to that board meeting. <laughs> a couple years ago, we were talking about the Christmas offering like we're doing now. 
and we were showing the list of what we wanted to be part of the Christmas offering, and part of that was remodeling the fireside room, which we'd been talking about for uh, apparently years. And that was part of it, like, let's raise some money so we could get, you know, chip away at what the cost is going to be for it. Let's raise money for it. And we talked about it. We spent time talking about, man, we've been talking about this for years. It's embarrassing to go in there. Man, people rent that room from us, and it's, it's embarrassing that the community gets to see that. Furniture's falling apart. You know, we have all these plumbing issues. We see all these stains on the carpet. We're not replacing it because at some point we're going to remodel. So it was neglected. So we voted and we approved the Christmas offering, all, that, all the things that were on the list. And then somebody that was part of the board raised their hand. What are we waiting for? The young people deserve a place to worship that looks nice. We just talked about how embarrassing it is to have people from the community see that room. How have we been okay for years have the youth worship in a place like that? Why are we waiting to raise money for all the expenses when we have money already here in the church? We are the church. We need to do something about it. I move that we remodel the fireside room without having to raise the funds because we already have them. And the board said, well, when you put it like that, is there a second? There's a second. All in favor, say aye. Unanimous. I remember thinking after that vote, after that board meeting, man, I'm so glad somebody spoke up. I'm so glad somebody said it's not okay. What are we waiting for? So we got a remodeling committee together. We said, let's get people from decorating committee. Let's get maintenance committee. Let's ask some of the parents of the high school students. And one of them was Tammy Shankle. And she said, yeah, I'll, I'll be part of this planning process. Thanks for waiting until all three of my kids graduate high school, but yeah, I'll help out. <laughs> Not about her, it's about everybody who's going to go in there. And we talked, and eventually we realized there's a lot of ministries in that building. So we went back to the board, and it's like, hey, could we not just look at the youth and the kitchen and, you know, the quilting ministries there, community services there, junior highs there. Could we, could we look at the whole building? Yeah, go for it. We looked at it. We had people from our church help us evacuate that building for the remodeling project. Today, the whole church now gets to go across the parking lot and write prayers, saying this is a sanctuary. Anybody who comes in here is going to be surrounded in our prayers. People from the community who are in need that are going to walk through those doors with assistance are going to know that this church believes that all people matter in God's kingdom. Anyone who wants to talk with a pastor and talk about life issues, that room is going to be surrounded by the prayers of this community. All of us get to take part in that today because one person in a board meeting said, you know what, what are we waiting for? We are a church. Are we not supposed to do something about it? He didn't remain silent. And that's why our church is stronger today. That's why the youth know, man, we're going to have an amazing place here. That's why there's more excitement for people with this remodeling project because they haven't been there. Some people haven't been there in over 10 years, but now there's excitement and optimism. We don't realize all the ministries that take place there. It's actually strengthened our community. 
followers of Christ, yes, we are to find comfort in the gospel, but in no way are we to be comfortable because of it. We are to act and not be silent. We are to stand firm and not be intimidated because the gospel is resilient. Let's pray. God, we thank you for calling us to something better. That a lot of time means hope and forgiveness, but sometimes you're calling us to make a difference and to touch the lives of others. Thank you for calling us to be part of your kingdom and to remind people that they are loved and they're not forgotten. I pray for, for courage when we look at the things in our society, in our workplace, that we not be tempted to retreat, that we instead stand firm in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May we leave here comforted by the gospel and made uncomfortable because of it. Amen.